Welcome to the Select Star Podcast, your resource for innovative technology, developer topics, and more. Here's your host, Margo McCabe from the Harper DB team. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Select Star Podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Um, today, we are speaking with Sai, who is a technical lead at Twilio, um, and also a speaker and, and a couple other um, cool roles that she's held. So thank you so much, Sai, for joining today. Thank you, Margo, for having me here. Thanks, yes. everyone, for listening in. Yes, and um, yeah, so glad to have you. Where are you calling in from today? I am. I live in San Jose, so I'm working from home, calling, I mean, dialing in from San Jose. Okay, nice. So not too far from us over here in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, awesome. So I know today we're going to be talking a little bit about event-driven architectures. I know that's a topic that you've been um, speaking about and interested in lately, but before we dive into all of that, we'd love to just hear a little bit about you, your background, um, kind of your journey in tech. Yeah. So I am from India, born and brought up in India, and uh, I'm I did my master's in computer science in Arizona State University, and then I got a job in Bay Area, and then I've been with uh, Twilio ever since. And uh, before my master's, I worked at uh, Yahoo, and in between, I worked with uh, AWS and Cerner, and here I am uh, at Twilio working as a tech lead right now for A2P compliance. Okay, awesome. And what what made you choose Arizona for the masters? I have a lot of family that that's out there. I know it it can be quite intense in the summers, but I know that's a great school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a great school. So that that was one that that was my most important focus. Other than that, I didn't want to go to a snowy area. But yeah, that's fair. Snow would have been better than sun. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. And and so then looking at where you are now, sort of from a high level, what is it that you're working on in your role at Twilio? I work on A2P compliance for messaging and messaging for those of you who don't know Twilio, Twilio is a cloud communications platform where you will provide APIs for email, then messaging and uh, voice and lots of other pro pro products. And for messaging, I'm working on the compliance side of things right now at Twilio. And that, that, that's, that's pretty much it. So uh, we are putting effort into uh, ensuring that all the customers who send messages have their use cases registered and reasoning for sending messages registered and everything. So this this is an attempt uh, to reduce spam and telecommunication ecosystem right now. Okay, got it. That sounds interesting for sure. And and it's from your track record, as you mentioned, Yahoo, AWS, you know, where you are now, it, it sounds like you tend to um, like to work for the larger sort of tech giants. Is that, have you ever worked for a smaller company or have you kind of always been with like these larger organizations? I mean, that that's an interesting observation. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I've always worked for these like mid-tier to like uh, high-tier companies so far, but yeah. Okay, so you must be enjoying it to some extent. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely enjoy the perks. <laughs> so what do you like about being tech lead? Is that, is that, you know, was that a goal for you to get into a position like that? Did you kind of fall into it or 
Uh, I definitely, there are a lot of things that I enjoy about uh, being a tech lead. And it was definitely a goal for me to be in this role because I I always had a passion for mentoring, especially in terms of technical, uh, in terms of like te- technical area. And in my perspective, the best part about like being a tech lead is I get to have, I, I get to zoom out and have like a bird's eye view of what everyone's doing. Like everyone's focused on their work, but then I get to have this view of how you can sort of like ha- uh, have like this big picture, the future big picture and ensure that everyone's work sort of aligns to that big picture. And also since I'd be working so closely with different people, I get to learn a lot of things, new things, cool things that they, they figure out. And so it's a win-win. Yeah, that makes sense. So it, it instead of focusing on like one very specific project, um, it, it's cool that, yeah, as you said, you got to have your hands in a lot of different buckets and, and get visibility into different areas of the organization and kind of make sure everything is working together simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like I like that. I mean, that's one thing that I like about being at such a small company is is sort of for that reason is like that we get to wear a lot of hats and and be involved in a lot of different decisions. Um, so it's it's cool to hear that there you know there still are those roles in larger organizations. You just have to find where the fit is and kind of like where to put the best use of your skill set. <laughs> I mean, I, on on my day-to-day basis, like talk to product partners and then talk to my team and figure out like the happy medium that is, that works out for both our team and the product. So you do tend to put on different roles, different hats in this role. Right. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Cool. So I guess pivoting, you know, from just the day-to-day, I know you mentioned um, a focus on working with people and and kind of talking about how to build easier or better event-driven architectures and and why that's even a topic that's important. So I'd love to hear um, sort of your high level on that and then like dive into maybe some specific tactics or tools that can help with that. And and I'm sure a lot of this comes from maybe that you've seen the, you've seen the other side of it of of event-driven architectures that maybe are built poorly or not so efficiently. So just kind of curious, like, how that all comes together. Sounds good. I mean, I can start off just giving a small example that probably is very relevant in our day-to-day lives right now. Yeah. When you when you like pick up your phone and order food on DoorDash, you would have like triggered like tri- trigger this event a synchronous system in the back end. And in terms of when I say event driven, like this entire asynchronous system so when you place an order on doordash for your pizza you won't immediately get a response saying hey your pizza's on the way right so you'll constantly get slowly getting notifications saying your order is being prepared by the restaurant your uh, delivery driver's on the way and blah 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 so it's slowly happening in the background asynchronously and uh, the and there are a lot of events that are happening right now like restaurant acknowledging that we've received the order or like restaurants like uh sending an event to us to to doordash saying hey i finished working on your order or basically some signals from our delivery partners and stuff like that so uh, there are a lot of events that are coming into the system and like for a huge end-to-end pipeline for example if you just take doordash 
um, there are different teams. There are different teams for handling user experience, some for handling uh, the delivery partner's experience, some for restaurant. So there are a lot of these, uh, there, there are these lot of these teams and a lot of events. And it will easily, uh, when you build a system, it will easily evolve into this complex maze very quickly. And that's what we should we should try to avoid. And we sh there are like some these good practices. There are frameworks that will help you in terms of uh, event-driven systems or asynchronous architecture that you can leverage right from the beginning. And yeah, instead of building, uh, when you build without these, it, it'll, it'll be simple in the beginning, but it'll be hard to scale your system. And that's what uh, my experience has been. Okay, interesting. So it, it sounds like, you know, with most things in tech, what, you know, when you're starting a project, when you're building an app, whatever it is that you're doing, that it's really important to look at how you're building it, what's in your tech stack, the order of how things are going, which way data is pushing before building anything out, because it, it can be probably a lot more difficult to make changes later on um you know once things are actually live or in production as opposed to like really doing that due diligence up front to see what would be most efficient exactly i mean uh picking the right framework in in this case i, I wanted to talk about like workflow orchestrators pick, uh, like considering workflow orchestrators potentially for your uh like framework that would definitely ease your burden like development burden right from the beginning and that has been our experience Okay. Got it. Okay. And so is that, is that something that you have, have responsibility of with, with what we're doing in a current role or in a, or in a previous role is kind of helping to guide how those architectures are, are built, or is that something you've just noticed like separately outside of work? No, that's, that, that's something that we noticed in, within work. Uh, Twilio has a lot of asynchronous systems in, uh, in, in like, a lot of Twilio APIs are not immediate. When you say send a message, we will send you a notification later that your message has been sent. So it, it's very similar to how DoorDash would do it uh, right. when you order your food. So uh, yeah. in our modern, uh, right now that in these modern applications, so many of uh, the use cases that we interact with daily are asynchronous in nature. Right. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So, so if you're looking at it, you know, if someone, if you were going to give someone advice that is building a similar asynchronous architecture or looking at, you know, how they're going to, you know, have that communication from their app to, to the users, to whatever it is, what would you say is like a either step-by-step -step process or like the things that they need to do up front with due diligence, what would be the most important things to take into consideration? So from my experience of it is if you're building an event-driven architecture or like an asynchronous system, anywhere where you're potentially using a queue, consider using workflow orchestrators. And so in terms of our DoorDash uh, example, like workflow orchestrators sort of help you in lots of ways. For example, it'll help you manage your state. Uh, in like in case of our DoorDash example, your state of the food, the like, let's say you ordered a pizza and your pizza goes through pending order to, uh, you know, uh, order in making, the uh, deliver, uh, order picked up and order on the way. So there are different states that the pizza will go through, and a workflow orchestrator will 
take care of navigating the code through the right uh, through the right states so you don't have to manually go ahead and configure if it's if it was previously in this state move to this state and so on and so forth like uh, workflow orchestrator sort of take that away from you and make your life easy and also in terms of resiliency in in an ideal world every like your pizza goes through different stages and gets delivered to your home right away without problems but in the in our real world we often tend to see issues, uh, issues, uh, you know, an acknowledge that was missed from our restaurant or billing didn't go through or payment didn't go through and stuff like that. So resiliency is like a really important factor when building asynchronous systems. And um, workflow orchestrators actually make, again, make your life easy by having out of the box configurations for retries, error handlers, error handling and then uh, failure uh, logic for, you know, for example, if your billing isn't going through for like two hours, even after your pizza is placed, probably you don't want to keep retrying it and just notify the customer because, you know, there's no point delivering a pizza two hours after it was placed. So it, it'll sort of help you with state management, resiliency, and um, once, uh, and, since it takes care of a lot of things like metrics and tracing, logging out of the box, out of the box by itself, your code gets simpler. And once your code gets simpler, maintainability will be easier and onboarding folks to the team and everything will be much easier. Okay. That's interesting. That makes sense. <laughs> and, and would you say that there's some have you ever seen like some very obvious mistakes that people make when they're doing, I mean, I, I guess probably the opposite of, of what you're recommending, but I'm just curious, like if there's any sort of big mistakes or um, things to avoid, or even if someone has already built, built out an architecture and it is really complex and confusing, like what types of ways that you can kind of reverse that and step back and make improvements without having to redo the entire thing. Oh, that's a really good question. So essentially, if you see yourself in a state where you're handling multiple queues uh, for like a system and or queues that are handling different events from different sources, you would probably be in a position where the code is sort of all over the place and it's not orchestrated in one single place. I mean, if you find yourself in this situation, probably you can slowly migrate to uh, using a workflow orchestrator. And it need not be a complete table flip where you just you know stop everything that you're doing and then go ahead and re-architect your system. You, it need not be that way. So you can incrementally add a workflow orchestrator into the existing code base that you have. Let's say, again, <laughs> going back to our pizza, Let's say uh, you already have this entire DoorDash entire pipeline end to end in uh, let in the without using a workflow orchestrator it, with like using a bunch of queues and you're handling all the events, state man state management, resiliency, everything yourselves. Um, if you are in that situation, and you just need to now add a new feature. Let's say you wanna or when you wanna add. Uh, priority delivery for your customers. This is a new feature. So you can build out, build this new feature out using a workflow orchestrator and, um, and, and integrate it with the existing code. So it need not be uh, an entire uh, re-architecture before you actually start seeing progress. So 
just add new pieces of code using workflow orchestrators, integrate it slowly within your system, and then you will see changes in your system where the metrics are coming out of the box, you're seeing better logging. So that'll sort of motivate you into moving more and more towards workflow orchestrator. That, that has been my experience. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. Well, and I'm, I think that that's probably a relief for, for people to hear about, you know, a lot of like, that's something that we talk with our partners and customers about too, is, um, I mean, in different contexts, but just a lot of people hear something and their mind immediately goes to like, oh, I need to rip and replace what I have, or like, I need to completely start over. And I think there's almost always some different shortcuts you can do. And, and the small, as you said, incremental changes that you can make that don't require like stopping production or or messing everything up or like extreme costs or or anything like that. Like that's why there's so many awesome tools out there and strategies to kind of make things like that easy. Cause obviously technology is always changing and people are probably constantly changing their strategy and their tech stack. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who has time to do a complete system overhaul? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is stuck in this fast paced, fast paced development cycle. And yeah, I don't think, I don't think we'll have the luxury of like stepping back and, you know, zooming out and then take uh, re-architecting a system. Right. <laughs> exactly. So are there any specific workflow orchestrator tools that, that you work with or that you recommend, or even outside of that, like any other types of just technologies that kind of help you with this whole process, whether it's the planning part or like the task automation or, or anything like that? Yeah, uh, there are a lot of workflow orchestrators in the market right now, and especially uh, a lot of them are open sourced also. So essentially, you know exactly what's going on. And I can talk about some of the workflow orchestrators that I've used or had experience with. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, so for for like open source side of things, there is uh, Apache Airflow, which uh, which as far as I know, has been there for a very long time. And it's a very active open source community. So there are, there's constant uh, improvisations that are happening there. And uh, also it's, it's a very active and welcoming open source community. And it has a lot of integrations. And probably Apache Airflow is a good choice for you if, it's most, if your tasks are more, mostly towards like data pipeline. In my experience, data pipeline tasks are re really smooth when integrated with uh, Apache Airflow. Essentially, if something in the pipeline fails, you know exactly how many times to retry. You have uh, logging of why it failed, who failed, and how many times it ran, or schedule pipeline runs automatically out of the box, stuff like that. Those are the things that Apache Airflow has. And uh, also, Apache Airflow has, if if you're not into hosting uh, Apache Airflow yourselves, then there is astronomer.io that provides you like a managed uh, managed Apache Airflow cluster. And uh, the next one, uh, which I also extensively use is Temporal. And um, Temporal is also open source community and Temporal is slightly different from Apache Airflow. And uh, my experience has, has been that if it's a more business use case with a lot of branching logic, for example, in case of DoorDash, uh, let's say you have to have like a lot of branching logic that says, hey, if the delivery driver reports like a car breakdown or something like that, 
do this if a restaurant uh, sends you a message saying you know the order is getting delayed by like another 30 minutes do this and stuff like that when there's a lot of business logic branching kind of things or you have like these long running workflows where your uh, where your workflows run for almost like 3 months or 4 months at that point of time temporal from my perspective is a right uh, is a better choice and uh, there there is also amazon provides uh, the proprietary solution which is aws provides uh, step functions which is another workflow orchestrator so if you're already in aws ecosystem and you're integrated with lambdas and you're integrated with dynamodb events uh, like Dy dynamodb triggers or streams or uh, you already using sqs if you're already in the aws ecosystem step functions make a lot of sense for you um and also there are other uh, workflow orchestrators like argo uh, netflix has conductor and so on and so forth a lot of good options out there and i think uh, every choice is slightly like every option that there is is slightly different from one another and it'll really help solve like a particular use case so based on your use case you can probably go choose one of those yeah that um, it sounds like you're highly knowledgeable on the topic, and I, I understand why this is something you like speaking about, um, but that that's all really helpful, and I, I like how you've explained at the end, like this is really based on sort of the use case as opposed to maybe your preference or like saying that one is the best. That's yeah, that's absolutely. what we say a lot when talking about like databases and data management technologies is like no one is trying to say that they're the end-all be-all that could do everything under the sun. It's more about figuring out what your specific needs and requirements are and kind of what the best fit is for that. So it's awesome to have so many tools available to you through the open source community. And, and it sounds like um, you've tried a lot of different of these, these tools. So um, I can see why you're so knowledgeable on it. And did you, did you say that you'll be, or that you have spoken about this topic um, elsewhere at a conference or something, or Oh yeah, I have uh, spoken about it previously at a conference, and I will be speaking about this uh, in in another conference that's coming up in Bay Area. Oh, cool! Which one is that? It is uh, Developer Week. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, it is Developer Week. I don't exactly remember the name. It's called World Conference Twenty Twenty Three. Okay, yeah, I know that they have different events throughout the year. My colleagues yeah. spoke at one that was in either January or February in Oakland. And then I know they have like different ones throughout the year. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's the World Festival. Okay. Awesome. Well, congrats. That's exciting. <laughs> Thank um, you. So yeah, that's all that's all really interesting. And I I am happy to be learning more about this topic because I think it's something that like people have touched on and and haven't you know, I haven't had the full grasp of like how important it can really be to build this out as with anything, you know, in, in the software development world, like it's, there can be so many nuances and so many little details that are important to pay attention to. And so I always love like having people that are passionate about different topics yeah. like that. <laughs> I mean, this is how we're building in uh, modern asynchronous applications at this point in time. And it really, really makes a huge difference because I've been on both sides without using one and with using one. So yeah, trust me when I say you should totally consider it when you're building a system like this. <laughs> awesome. And 
Um, are you, so I was going to say uh, that kind of leads me into sort of a question of, is there, do you, are you a part of any communities or like any blogging platforms where folks or social media where folks can connect with you or involved in the tech community anywhere outside of work? Oh, of course. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm available on LinkedIn, open to definitely open to chat on LinkedIn. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's good to know. I'll be sure to put the link, um, for that in the show notes, just so that if people have any follow-up questions or anything or want to connect, um, they can, I always like to ask that because some people, they don't really want like an open invitation for just anyone reaching out just because they have like so much going on. They don't want to make a promise that they can, <laughs> that they'll be able to reply to anyone. But I think it's always helpful to have, um, you know, at least one sort of resource or area where people can connect. Cause I think our different listeners, you know, resonate with like different things that people say in different episodes. So it's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> of course, definitely happy to help you if you're uh, you know, if you're solving like an asynchronous problem or if you're building the system, I'd love to have a hop on a call and maybe we can brainstorm together. So definitely open to chatting. Awesome. Well, this has been um, really fun chatting with you. I appreciate it. And um, unless there's anything else, any final words that you want to leave us with, um, happy to kind of sign off and, and excited to keep in touch. First, thanks everyone for listening in. That is pretty much it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Select Star, your resource for innovative technology and developer topics. You can find our episodes in all the usual places Spotify, Apple, Google, RSS, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share. You can learn more about HarperDB at harperdb.io.